Let's begin today with a little psychological test, shall we? All right, I'm going to put, uh, or I'm not going to, I'm going to kick it back there uh, to Marianne, and she's going to put an image up on the screen, okay? Now, y'all tell me what you see. Do you see, is this cat coming up the stairs or going down the stairs? How many say up? How many say down? Okay. Now, I, this is what it says on the internet, y'all. It says, if you think he's going up, you're an optimist. And if you think he's going down, you're kind of a pessimist. Okay. Let's just, let's try it again. Let's try it again. What do you see? I got another one. What do you see first in this image? Say the first thing that you see. A dog. And what, did anybody see anything? Two cats. How many saw a dog? How many saw two cats? Now, this is what the internet said, y'all. You see one dog, you're an extrovert. You like people. You see two cats, you're an introvert. You like to get by yourself. Okay. I'm just telling you what the internet said. <laughs> All right, let's try another one. What's the first word that you see here? Did anybody see another word? Spencer, I see you, Spencer. Now, I'm, I'm just going to let this one stand for itself. You can imagine what the internet said about that. I thought I'd put one up that explains itself. We can see this next one here. like to me when you just look I think you can be forgiven for Zaxby is do I need to switch is it a battery thing uh, where's that other one? Oh, it's way over there but it's puppies y'all it's little bitty puppies cute little puppies and you yeah that's right you thought they were chicken you thought you weren't gonna eat them Last one. All right, what do you see here? All right, how many, how many people said duck? How many people said bunny or rabbit? That's, or hare, okay. All right, now there is actually on this one, there's some neuroscience going on here, okay? A neuroscientist at the University of Alberta, I mean, it is Canadian. You gotta take that into account. But named, uh, his name is Kyle Mathewson, did a study on this image and how people perceive it, all right? So according to his research, all people either see a duck or a rabbit immediately when shown this image, but only half can see both animals without help. So generally, when you first see it, half of folks will see either a duck or a rabbit, and they're going to need help to see the other one, right? There are some that can kind of see both of those. But only half can see both of those animals without help. The focus of the study was to see what kind of language helped people break out of their immediate perceptions and see the image from both perspectives. Here's an interesting quote from the study. It says, he, uh, Matthewson says this, 
says, this study also demonstrates that we can control the brain's way of interpreting information with just a few words or with an image, and we should all be mindful of that. Especially when, for example, we're reading a news story. We are often interpreting and understanding information the way we want to see it. The way we want to see it. See, this is just a reality of how the human brain works. When we take in new information, our brain tries to process that information by placing it in a context that it's already familiar with. So the more mysterious or peculiar that new information is, the more that new information defies categorization, the harder our brains will work to bend that new information until it fits into one of the categories that we already have on file. So this image here is deliberately ambiguous. It is drawn in such a way that it is both a duck and a rabbit, but your brain does not have a category for something that is both a duck and a rabbit at the same time. And so your brain picks out one and sticks with it until it's shown otherwise. And it does this in a split second without any conscious effort on your part. Your brain sees what it wants to see first. Now there are all kinds of reasons that your brain might pick the duck or you know, expectations, interests, preferences, personality, perhaps an, you know, an irrational prejudice against bunny rabbits or something like that. Who knows? The point is this, that your natural mind is not a big fan of that which defies expectation. Your natural mind is not very interested in that which cannot be easily categorized. Your natural mind is not really very interested in anything that the Bible might call new wine. And that's why every time the natural mind encounters new wine, it always tries to put that new wine in some tired, old, sorry wineskin. So I'm thankful this Easter morning. I'm thankful that as we open up to the Gospel of John, and as we turn to chapter 20, and we begin to read about a situation that defies categorization, and we begin to read about a man who defies all expectation, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we are not bound this morning to read what we're going to find here with the natural mind. I'm thankful that instead we are free to read with a renewed mind. And that the book of Romans promises us that if we will read with a renewed mind, then we will walk away from this text not simply informed but transformed. And with that truth on our lips this morning, let us stand to our feet, if you are willing and able, and let us read... Uh, and I'll, I'll read for you, and if you would follow along, chapter, uh, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. 
He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw and believed, but they did still not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the fathers. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now, if we were to turn back to chapter 2 of the Gospel of John, this same book, and if we were to look at the very first day of Jesus' public ministry, we would find a scene in which a few disciples of John the Baptist switched teams and started following Jesus. Jesus notices them following along after him and asks them a very pointed question that's just for those who have left John the Baptist to come and follow after Jesus. He asked them very pointedly, what is it that you're looking for? What, it is, you know, what, what is it that you boys are looking for here? Are you looking for more you know, of the locust and honey out in the wilderness, John the Baptist stuff? Because I'm not John the Baptist, so if you want more of that, stay with him. But if you want me, follow me. And they say to Jesus, that's what we want. We want to go where you are going. And Jesus says, well, come on then. That's a quote. These are the very first words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John. Comes in the form of that question, what is it that you're looking for? That's chapter 2. Here we are today in chapter 20, 18 chapters later. And among the very first words that Jesus speaks after his resurrection is that same pointed question, this time phrased a little more personally and pointed at Mary Magdalene. He says, who is it? Who is it that you are looking for? Who is it that you're looking for? Because you say you're looking for me, but you're looking at me right now, and you don't see me. You don't recognize me. So let me ask again, who is it that you are looking for? Just as Jesus asked this question of the disciples of John the Baptist, and just as sure as he asked it of Mary Magdalene, I believe he is asking it of you and I today, this Easter morning, as we come here today looking for the risen Christ, I think he would ask us, who is it that you are looking for? Do we come here today looking to see Jesus as he is, to receive him on his terms, 
Or are we looking for another Jesus that is more in keeping with our understanding in the categories that already exist in our mind? Because as we've shown that when we are presented with something that defies categorization, we just see what we want to see. This is the question of the day. Have we come to see and celebrate Jesus as he is, or have we come to see a Jesus that we want to see? In our text today, we have three characters who come to the empty tomb looking for Jesus, and I'd like to spend, or at least the body of Jesus, and I'd like to spend the rest of our time thinking about what, what Jesus they found, what Jesus they were looking for, what Jesus they didn't find. And I think that will help all of us identify the Jesus that we have come to see this morning. So if you remember back to how our text begins, Mary Magdalene, likely a few other women, but Mary is the focus for John. He's the only one that John mentions, has come to the tomb of Jesus very early in the morning. While it's still dark, we know from other gospel accounts that Mary has come to finish preparing the body of Jesus for burial. Some preparations have already been made, but they need to be finished. But in the dark, Mary comes to the tomb and finds it open. The stone is moved away from the opening of the tomb. So this would be something like you and I coming to bring flowers to a newly dug grave. While it's dark, mind you, and we come up on it and the coffin is open. All right. So what does Mary do? Does she go up and look inside? No, this is not an 80s horror movie. She does what normal people do in the dark when they see an open casket. They, they get out of there. They run out of there. They do not go and look inside there. They go out, they go out of there. Okay? And she goes, she knows where the disciples are hiding out, and she tells them the body of Jesus has been taken. Two disciples respond immediately, Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved, or the other disciple, which is John himself, which I just love that, how he refers to himself uh, all the way through here in that way. Uh, they both take off running for the tomb, and John is like, I distinctly remember that the disciple that Jesus loved was way faster I'm not saying, you know, Peter's old. I'm not saying Peter's fat. I'm just saying that the disciple that Jesus loved got there way ahead. <laughs> but then he, uh, <laughs> he, he, is, he gets honest because he stops at the, at the mouth of the tomb. He looks in. He sees the, he sees the, 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 the fabric that's been wrapped around the body of Jesus laying there with no body. And he doesn't go in. He can't make himself go in. But Peter has no such inhibitions. And I imagine him kind of elbowing John out of the way and stumbling on into the cave, you know, huffing and puffing, trying to catch his breath. And it's interesting to note that both of the, in this story, both of these guys are acting according to the character that we, you know, we've seen in them throughout the gospel stories. We know from other places in this and other gospel accounts that Peter is a brash man, a man who crashes ahead, sometimes acting before he thinks. Sometimes that is a good thing for him. He is the first and only disciple who jumps out the boat and tries to walk on the water to Jesus. 
But it also means that he's going to be the first and only disciple to swipe a sword and cut off the ear of one of the soldiers thinking that this is it. This is when the revolution starts, you know. And I'm going to be the first one out there. John, on the other hand, seems to be quite different from Peter. He seems to be a more sensitive and emotional man. He leans back, rests his head on the shoulder of Jesus at the Last Supper. It's a sign of love. It's a sign of affection. He's at the foot of the cross at the crucifixion. He is weeping with Jesus' mother, caring for her to the point that Jesus asks him from the cross to take care of his mother after he is gone. Now here we can only speculate. But if Peter and John both came to believe during their time with Jesus that he was the Messiah, I wonder what kind of Messiah they expected him to be. Did Peter expect a Joshua figure, a, a kingly Messiah that would take up the sword and take back Jerusalem from the Romans? His actions at the Garden of Gethsemane would seem to support that theory. On the other hand, perhaps John expected a more priestly Messiah, one that had come to find and care for the lost sheep of Israel, to put them tenderly up on his shoulders and carry them back home, perhaps. But regardless of what they were looking for, whether it was Jesus the warrior or Jesus the lover of the soul, everything that Peter or John thought that Jesus could become was destroyed at the hour of his crucifixion, by his death. That was the end for them as far as they were concerned. We can tell by their reaction during this time. At the end of the day, neither one of these brothers ran to the tomb with an inclination that maybe Jesus got up out of the grave himself. Now, they had been taught this would happen by Jesus himself many times. Matthew 16, 21 says it. Uh, Jesus says, from that time on, Jesus... Or actually... We'll get to the part that Jesus says. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he, might, that he would, must be killed on the third, and then on the third day be raised to life. It doesn't get much clearer than that, right? And that happens many times, and yet they are confused by the bedclothes that are left in the tomb, because whether it's a grave robber, a friend, or an enemy, nobody is going to unwrap a dead body and carry it out naked. They're confused. Why? They're confused because there is no category in their mind for a Messiah who wins by losing. There's no category in their mind for a Messiah that would claim victory by submitting to defeat. There's no category in their mind for a Messiah that would give life to others by the means of his own death. They don't even have a category for that. And for that matter, there's not a category in their mind for a Messiah who is both a warrior and a lover of the soul. There's no category in Peter's mind for a Messiah who says things like he says in Luke 13, 34, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And at the same time, there's not yet a category in the young John, John's mind for the Messiah that he would write about later in his revelation where he saw, and I quote, heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and he wages war. 
He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God, and he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And the truth is that Jesus is both, a lover of the soul and the warrior. He is both the Savior and at the same time the judge. He is both fully God and he is fully man. He is both infinite over us and at that same time intimate and right here with us. It would appear that Jesus is both a duck and a rabbit at the same time. But we have no category for that. And so we see what we want to see. And sometimes we learn, and something that we can learn from Peter and John, is that most often what we want to see is the Jesus that looks most like us. Peter, with his warrior spirit, sees a warrior Jesus. John, as a soul that's a lover, sees the Jesus that's a lover of the soul. And when they looked at Jesus they saw largely it would appear a reflection of themselves. Now I wonder who it is that you have come to see today. Have you come to see a Jesus that looks like you, that values what you value, the Jesus that reinforces your opinions, that echoes your personality, or, you know, have you come here looking for the activist Jesus? Have you come here looking for the therapist Jesus? Have you come here looking for the turning over tables Jesus? Have you come here looking for the Jesus wept Jesus? Mary Magdalene wasn't any different than Peter and John. She had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. Can you imagine how devoted you would be to someone who had healed you of such torment? But our brains cannot handle the notion of a healer who's also a warrior. We cannot handle the notion of one who leads by serving. Listen to me, if, you've not, if you have not come here today willing to let Jesus be Jesus, you are going to leave here just as confused and confounded as Peter and John were in that empty tomb that morning looking at those bedclothes, those grave clothes. Revelation 5, 6 says, Then I saw a lamb looking as though it had been slain. A little old bloody lamb standing at the center of the throne. How can a slain thing rule? How can a gentle thing be a king? How can a bloody lamb stand at the center of the throne of heaven? I am confused. Look again at verse 6. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. The scholars disagree about what it means that John and Peter saw and believed but did not understand. 
Did they just come to believe what Mary had told them? Is that what's being referenced here? Did they not believe what Mary had said when they had come to him? It would appear that many of the other disciples did not because they did not come running. And maybe they saw what she testified to and they believed, but they just didn't understand that he was risen. Or others say that maybe they had just some sense that something strange is happening here. Are they starting to have some inkling of who Jesus really was? That he was were they remembering some of the things he had said? It's not clear. And what is clear, though, is that they are confused. They are seeing things about Jesus that are incongruent and mysterious. They don't understand, so what do they do? They go back to the place where they were staying. They went back to a place of safety. This is what the natural mind does when presented with something truly new. It bends that new thing and twists that new thing until it fits in a category that already exists. It tries to put that wine in a familiar wine skin, and if it can't do that, just runs back for safety, right? That's what we're trying to do when we're trying to make it bend. Put that wine in a new wine, an old wineskin. But that place of safety cannot last. That old wineskin cannot last. There is, however, another way. There's another way. There's another, thi- there's another way to receive a thing that defies your expectations. There is another way to process a thing that will not submit to your categories that you have in your mind. For this new way, and it's really just the beginning of a new way, we can look to Mary Magdalene. Because as we said, Mary is no different than Peter and John in her reaction. She expects Jesus is still going to be in that grave just like they do. She has brought her own preconceived notions about Jesus just like they have. Her reaction to this situation is exactly the same as Peter and John's in every single way except one little one. And that's that she lingers. She doesn't retreat back to a place of safety. She lingers. She waits. She sits in the confusion for a moment. And this waiting is not pleasant for her. In fact, it's painful. She weeps. She weeps to the point that two angels appearing in the tomb seems kind of like an irritant to her. They ask her, why is she crying? And she basically says, duh. (laughs) Now, everywhere else that I'm aware of in the scriptures, the first thing an angel has to say to you is, don't be afraid. Because you are going to be afraid if you see an angel. Mary Magdalene says, They took my Lord away. And I don't know where to find him. She waits on the Lord without an answer. And this waiting is rewarded with sight. That she didn't have, but was given. I want you to look at this... uh, Wonderful artwork that Song Kim has created just for today. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Song. Now, what do you see? You see the the opening of the cave, right? Do you see the, the head of a lamb in that negative space? It's okay if you don't see it yet. I appreciate your honesty. I didn't expect that. 
See little ears up top? Let me read to you verses 14 through 16 again. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Brothers and sisters, so many of us here today are looking right at Jesus, but we are not seeing him. We're not seeing him for who he is. And that's because we have been trying to name Jesus instead of letting him name us. See, you are never going to see Jesus as long as you are trying to fit him into whatever category that you put him in all these years. You will never see Jesus as long as you are looking for a reflection of yourself in him. You are never going to see Jesus as long as you are only willing to receive one side of who he is. You can't call Jesus whatever you want to call him. He can't be named by you. He already has a name. It is written on his robe. It is written on his thigh. And it is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But there is a way that you can see him today. By waiting and listening and letting him call you by your name. By giving up. By giving up your desire to define him and receiving the grace of letting him define you. I just feel like right now maybe we need to get the band and the singers to come on up. Is that okay? Um, we don't have to get all the servers out quite yet. You know what? Let's just do it. Let's get the servers and the, and the ushers and everybody in place. And let's see what the Lord does. Now, I'd like you to, if you've got your, put your, put your, if you're taking notes, put them away. Put your Bible off to the side. And we're going to turn our hearts to the Lord right now for a moment. And I want to ask a few questions. Is there anyone here that needs to fall at the feet of Jesus today and call him Rabbanai? Now, this word teacher is not simple. It's not a simple word. It's it's, it's rabbi, it's, it's, a, it's an extended form, a, a more intense form of rabbi. Rabbi means teacher, but what it means is, in Mary's mouth, is she is saying, Master, she's saying, Lord, I submit. The, what you teach will affect me. What you say is going to change me. I'm going to stop putting you in my image trying to make you in my image and I'm going to let you make me in your image that's what she means my master teacher Lord is there anybody and maybe you've lived as a Christian for a long time but you know right now that you've never called him Rabbani you've never seen him for who he is you've never subjected yourself to whatever it is that you're going to let Jesus be Jesus Is there anyone who 
needs to just linger for a moment and let Jesus call them by their name. And let him call your name and just heal you from whatever image that you've had of Jesus that may have even been damaging in your life. You just need to let him stand. You need to stand in his presence. Just let him call your name. Is there anyone here today who has seen the Lord and wants to dedicate themselves to going forward into the world and saying what Mary says at the end of the passage, I have seen the Lord. Mary is the first evangelist. She declares the gospel for the first time. Is there anybody in here that feels something in them that wants to declare the gospel? Is there somebody that's been sitting on the gospel? And they know that they love the Lord. They know they want to submit to the Lord. They, they've seen the Lord. But for whatever reason, you've not been willing or able or whatever. You've not had the opportunity to go forward and say, I've seen the Lord. And I want you to see him too. If any of those are you, let's get everybody to stand up if you would. If there's anybody that needs to fall at the feet of Jesus today and call him Rabbi, would, would you just come forward down here? Pastor, would you mind coming forward and just being available? Is there anybody here who wants to linger for a moment and just stand in his presence and just have him call you by your name? Would you come on down? Would you come on down here? Come on down here. It's all right. Is there anyone who has seen the Lord today and wants to dedicate themselves to preaching the gospel with their life and with their lips? Would you come on down? Would you come on down here today? That's what this altar is for, is for putting things down that have kept you from becoming who you really are. You are an evangelist because you have believed the evangel, the good news of Jesus. You've seen the Lord. You've seen the Lord, and you want to say, I've seen him, and I want you to see him too. I want to pray over those that are down here for just a moment, and I want to pray over those who have not felt the freedom to come out, but there is something happening in your heart right now. And I'm going to ask for all of us, if we would, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Let's just turn our hearts to Jesus right now. And in this situation where no one can see you, if you just be courageous enough to just step out and come on down. If Jesus is calling you by your name today and you're seeing him for the first time or the hundredth time, just answer him. This is the testimony that Ty gave. His mother told him, listen in the night. Listen in the night. You're going to hear him call to you. I appreciate that confidence. You're going to hear him call to you. And when he calls you, you just come. You just say yes. You just say yes. Is there anybody that needs to say yes to Jesus tonight? Is there anybody that needs to say yes? If you can't come down and do it, do it from where you stand. Pastor Jacob, would you come down and pray with folks? Do it from where you stand. That's great. Yes, thank you, sir. God bless you. There's anybody. Let me pray. 
Lord, it strikes me that this passage begins in the dark. Before the morning light, in the dark. And that by the end of it, Mary mistakes Jesus for a gardener. And even though I know, Lord, that she didn't mean to make a theological statement, I know that she didn't mean to prophesy. I just can't help thinking, Lord, Jesus, you came as the new gardener, the new Adam. And this scene, ultimately, is not a scene in a cemetery, but it's a scene of the new Eden. And that what you are offering when you call Mary by her name is recreation, rebirth, renewal. And if there's anybody in here that needs that today, by their name. Let them hear you with their ears, their physical ears, or with the ears of their heart. Any age, any walk of life, no matter what they've done, this is a time of recreation, God. Would you recreate? Would you make new? God wants to recreate you in the image of Christ today. We need to stop trying to create Jesus in our own image and let him recreate us instead, renew our minds instead. We can be transformed today. We can be changed. It doesn't have to be like it always has been. While this prayer is going on, I want to pray and ask that the saints would continue to pray in this room, to continue to walk in a spirit of prayer. As the ushers come to your row and dismiss you of your believer in Jesus, you can come forward and participate in worship by taking of this bread. You'll be reminded this is the body of Christ that's been broken for you. As you dip it in the juice, you'll be reminded this is the blood of Christ that's been poured out for you. And as you take it that, head back to your seat and continue in worship. Continue in worship. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you. Listen, listen, just listen. Stay where you are and listen. Come down here and listen. Somebody's going to pray with you. Jesus is calling your name. Stop looking at him and calling him by some other name. Seeing him some other way than how he is. Just receive him the way he is today. In Jesus' name.